Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad and with me as always is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Uh, in case you haven't listened to any of the 155 episodes prior to this, let me just give you a quick rundown of who we are. Me and Ben are a pair of automotive journalists. You can find our work all over the internet. In fact, I'm going to ask Ben to plug a couple of his uh, recent publications. Ben, go ahead. Where have you been writing? Where have you been writing? You can find my work at Automobile Magazine, Motor Trend, Driving Line, and Inside Hook. And you can find most of my work at autotrader.ca as well as Nouveau Magazine. So, Ben, let's talk about a couple of cars. Um, actually, really, really um, cars that we've, I think we've talked about in the past, but I guess we're getting a, a whole different look at them this time around, right? You could say it's a whole different look for the purposes of this podcast episode, sure. Well, okay, first of all, you go ahead. I think you had the Genesis G70, is that right? Yes, I was supposed to be in a G90 this week, but there was uh, a mix-up, and I ended up in a G70, and uh, that's not a bad thing, because this is one of my favorite cars of the last year. It's, for those of you who are unfamiliar, the G70 is the Genesis answer to the 3 Series and the A4 and the C-Class, which means it's an entry-level compact luxury sedan. The, the thing that sets the Genesis apart is that this is a car that, unlike the other three vehicles I mentioned, really prizes driver involvement. Mm -hmm. And I say that because the 3 Series is still an excellent car, but it's become far more insulated than it was in past generations. And it's still very fast, very comfortable, and very stylish. Well, not super stylish, but it still makes an impression. When you drive it hard, though, it's... It's really difficult to make a connection with the car. It's it's the kind of car where you kind of feel like software is doing a lot of the driving for you, and you're never really uh, making I, – I, I've used the word connection already, but you're never really feeling like you're part of the experience. And, Sammy, I know you've driven the G70, and but for me, this is an actual driver's car, which is a rarer and rarer descriptor, especially in the luxury segment. So one of the things that I think is really important to talk about this week is the climate in which you've had it. I think it's been pretty cold and snowy, and I'm not sure if you've driven the G70 in the cold uh, or winter weather before, have you? I actually have. Uh, th- this time, okay. I, so I had the G70. I had the 3.3 turbo. The, mm-hmm. There's also a turbocharged four-cylinder, which comes with a manual transmission. Again, it's the only manual still available in its class. But the 3.3 has an eight-speed automatic. It's 365 horsepower, huge amount of torque. It's very quick. The only issue I had with it in the snow, and my version had the A-Track all-wheel drive. You can get a rear-wheel drive version of the car, too, if you want. Mm-hmm. But the, the version of the car I drove was fitted with Pirelli's uh, Sato Zero tires, Sammy. Oh, no. Yes. I know exactly your comments on these tires. So, I echo them completely. Tell me what type of, uh, first of all, noise. Uh, second of all, grip you <laughs> yeah. experienced with these tires because I know one thing, they're not my favorite. So these tires are fine if you're on completely bare pavement and right. it's cold. No so, ice, no, no ice, snow, no snow, no, no slush. You're okay. If yeah. any, if a, a flake of snow falls from the sky <laughs> in your path and the tire detects it, it goes into something I like to call panic crazy mode. <laughs> That, that's not, it's not that bad. Not it's with a pretty bad. Split. This is an all-wheel drive car that that's honestly on, on slushy roads was all over the place. Yeesh. Like it was not a good scene and has nothing to do with the Genesis because I've had this tire on other vehicles too. And it's exactly and it's the same thing. Yeah. These are the worst winter tires money can buy. 
<laughs> and they're expensive. Um, I keep wor- I keep thinking about that. I want to get back. We'll get back to the G70 uh, in a second. But I've uh, driven many different configurations of BMW 5 Series in the past. And usually in the dry and spring and summer weather, I really like this car. But then I've had it in the winter and I've been like, what happened to one of my favorite BMWs, this 5 Series? Usually a very stately, calm and composed car. And it turned out it was these tires that made such a difference to the vehicle and i and i try to give my feedback to bmw and been like maybe you shouldn't put these on the car <laughs> and that has not nobody took my my feedback in any way i think it so, comes i think it comes down to use cases because i'm going to be honest even in montreal where we have a lot of snow in the winter it's mm-hmm. rare for a road to be covered that's kind right. of something that happens the day of the snowfall and maybe a couple of days afterwards while it takes them a while to clear the side streets because in this city, they remove the snow. It's not something that just piles up on the side of the road. So the roads are eventually clear and then you don't notice the, the detriment of the tires so much. But for those, if you live outside of a city where maybe you're driving on packed snow all the time, which is not that, that uncommon on two-lane roads, you're going to definitely notice. And it's it's really too bad that um, a, a car this good is let down by a tire like that but back to the g70 i have also driven this car i haven't had it in the snow so i don't really i was very curious to hear uh, exactly what your experience was like with the uh six cylinder in the snow um and in fact i don't think i've had much time with the four cylinder at all so i was hoping that you can give me a little bit of an update on on just how these cars behave uh, because it is really one of the i think it's attractive i do think it's very nice inside and out um i do think it's kind of fun to drive i've i i haven't experience what how you describe uh high performance or high speed driving taking you out of the moment um because i find the steering and the chassis to be very good in this car and i was i was talking about the bmw doing that oh sorry about bmw's taking you taking you out of the moment and and the genesis doesn't so you're you're with agreement on that and in the snow uh even though it has absolutely awful tires uh, I was able to maintain control of the vehicle because it was telling me what was going on. Like, I, it wasn't it wasn't ever a surprise. It wasn't like I was driving and then I hit a patch of ice and the car spun wildly out of control. It's more like, okay, now we're sliding through this intersection or now the car's pushing to the outside of this corner. And I knew everything that was happening because the car is very good at keeping me in the loop. And that's something that um, no other sports sedan in its class does. And if I was going to buy a car if – I, if I was buying a car – for $50,000, first of all, which is a huge deal compared to how much you can spend on a 3 Series, this is definitely the one. This is, I, I would get a Genesis G70, no question. It is thoroughly excellent. Even with the 8-speed automatic, I mean, I'm a manual fan. Uh, I only own one automatic car, and it's it's still an excellent buy. Uh, I definitely agree with you. Um Anything else you want to add about this car? I mean, it seems kind of wild that we, we've – I mean, I guess we've covered the G70 in the past. Is there is there more you want to to talk about? The only thing I think maybe lets the G seventy down a little bit, and it, it, it's not a issue for me. But the infotainment system, the graphics, they match what mm. you would find in a Hyundai, which is okay because it's a good system. But it doesn't look particularly special, and I think BMW and Audi in particular have both done a really good job at creating special infotainment environments. That's something I'd like to see in the next version of the G seventy. But the functionality is great. Uh, the interior is it, it looks good. The back seat, not quite as big as what you find in a 3 Series, but again, are you trying to buy a large car or are you trying to buy a car that's fun to drive? Because you can always buy a bigger Genesis if you want a bigger Genesis. 
Right. Um, it's important that you bring up the infotainment thing because um, as we've seen with BMW and Mercedes, if you want to up the ante in terms of infotainment, they're going to add one of these um, robot digital assistants, which is something I don't think you're a fan of. But no, maybe we talked Genesis. about that on the last episode. Actually, I have, a, Ge- yeah. <laughs> I have a funny update for that. So <laughs> um, I, next week I'm going to be talking about the, uh, the BMW uh, X6. Oh, good. We, I, we've, we've hit a, a nice pause in the BMW content from Ben. And now we're going to be picking it up again. I'm just going to let that slide. So <laughs> I, I picked up a, a colleague in the X6, and we were driving from the dealership to another fleet location. And she was talking with, to me, and a call came in on the phone uh, over Bluetooth. And while she was gesturing with her hands, she denied the call. <laughs> she blocked the call and hung up the phone just because she was moving her hands in the vicinity of the center console. And that just, to me, it proved how terrible the idea of gesture control was. Five minutes later, during the same trip, she accidentally triggered the BMW voice assistant (laughs) by saying something, something BMW. So, again, not a great system. So you're hoping that Genesis uh, doesn't add the robot digital assistant who or or gesture controls which interrupt your driving. Exactly. I would rather you just, just want a pre- you just want prettier uh, graphics. I just want my tunes and maybe to talk to the people who are trying to call me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a tough ask. Um, I I'm driving a, a car that we've covered in the past, but in different um, trim levels. The, I'm talking about the Mazda CX-5, and in particular, I dr- I'm talking about the signature model, which features a turbocharged engine, um, a turbocharged 2.5 liter engine, which is a pretty good engine and one that I'm very fond of. We've seen this engine before in the uh, CX-9, and I believe it makes 250 horsepower and maybe 290 pound-feet of torque. Let me double-check my figures while we while we broadcast live because that's just the way we do it, right? Yeah, the podcast is live. No matter when you're listening <laughs> to it, it's live. We're actually inside your device talking in real time. What I mean to say is we barely edit all of this nonsense out when we're just scrambling uh, for time. Is he doesn't ever edit anything, and I edit everything, and he has no idea how much work goes into the technical side that's of this true. podcast. I'm a, I apologize. Thank he you, tried man. to edit it one time, and it just ended up... Most of the podcast was replaced by a dial tone. It was really, it was really Which is awkward, weird, right? Which was I didn't know how that dial tone got in episode there. sixty-seven dial tone episode. If you want to hunt yeah. that one down in the archives, so yes, two hundred fifty uh, horsepower and two hundred and three hundred ten pound feet of torque, which is uh, pretty, pretty, pretty uh, good. I I absolutely love this motor. I think it's a great fit for the CX-5. How and, expensive is it in the CX-5, though? Like how oh, much yeah, do I have to pay? That's a good question you need to ask, right? This is just under $40,000 in the United States um, with all-wheel drive, $38,695, including destination, which I think is pretty decent. And I have the um, updated um, – sorry, the extra-cost exterior paint, which so I'm is saying, I just gorgeous say, soul red. The Genesis G70 starts at thirty five. <laughs> so you, would you have a Genesis G70 with the four-cylinder? And the manual uh, transmission? And the manual transmission. Or would you get a CX-5 um, with the turbocharged engine? Genesis, no question. Yeah. I think the two cars are incomparable um, beyond <laughs> their price point here. Um, but uh, it's worth pointing out because the CX-5, I'm not sure, gets uh, a lot of love on the market and I think it's easy to see that and see why once you drive it. As much as me and you really appreciate, one, the styling interior and exterior, the engine, 
But when you start living with it for a short period of time, you'll quickly notice what its, um, its deficiencies are. And that's specifically cargo space and rear seat space. And I feel really bad saying that because if I had to pick a car in this class that I would buy, it would very likely be the CX-5, especially with this turbocharged engine. And I'm sure that would go the same for you. No, I would take the four-star over the CX-5, I'm pretty sure. Even without the the extra power that the CX-5 has? Yeah, I mean, the CX-5 is fine. And the robot? I'm going to be honest. I don't really want any small crossover. Yeah. But if I... Again, other vehicles I would take probably over the CX-5, the hybrid version of the RAV4. Okay, yeah, that's pretty I good. Which I think is pretty powerful and has it, it, it solves the space problem that you're talking and about. And the transmission issue that yeah. the regular the regular RAV4, I just didn't – I couldn't – me and the 8-speed transmission in the RAV4 could not get along. And I'm sure the hybrid, which has a CVT, if I'm not mistaken, um, probably does not have the same issues. I, I suppose the CX-5 is somewhere on that list. But it's not, you know, it's it's not something where I don't think it comes first to mind when I think about vehicles in that segment. Okay, well, that's really that's really great that you brought that up because I'm going to bring up a couple of features that I I absolutely love in the CX-5. Things like uh, a head-up display, well, real head-up display, not one of those um, like weird flimsy screens that which, pop up. Which Mazda pioneered, by the way. <laughs> yes. Uh, so now they have a real color head-up display, which I think is gorgeous. Um, they have a rotary knob infotainment system. I thought you like those. No, the infotainment system in the current Mazdas is... Not I will not I will agree with you on this. I'm not going to talk about any other part of the infotainment system. Except for now they've added Android Auto and Apple CarPlay, which is a helpful addition because you don't have to worry about using that, um, that tiny little screen. Um, but actually still navigating it with this knob is not superb you made me i was talking about the things i liked about the car ben and you immediately let me jump into the things i don't like about the cars maybe i'm losing my point embrace the dark side (laughs) uh i really really like the interior quality and layout and design of the cx5 i think it's really high end it doesn't at all look like any of the other cars that you would pick up in this class even the rav4 which is pretty high end or the um, Subaru, which you can get with this gorgeous brown leather, does not look as premium. Do not look as premium as the CX-5. I think it's really important to to put to point that out. Um, and for under forty thousand dollars, I think that's a pretty good deal. Like I said, if you're not looking for um, practicality, if you're not looking for um, the this all the all of those safety features or all of the um, what, what's the word the family friendliness that you find in other vehicles in this class. Then I think the CX-5. In fact, if so you're looking why, for if you're, any if you're, bit... If you don't want a family-friendly vehicle, why are you buying a small crossover? That's a great question. Um, I think some people like the uh, higher driving height of the CX-5. Sure. As well as the ability to uh, As well as the ability to haul stuff, like bigger things in a, in a crossover than you would a sedan. So you can drop those rear seats and at least you have some space to use. I um, guess, sure. I mean... These all kind of sound like asterisks on the end. Like, what if you what if not? What if you don't have kids, but you have pets? I don't know. Like, that might work. Well, I don't have kids, but I have pets, and I still don't want to cross over. So, <laughs> I mean, maybe dog, or not? Maybe not pet. And I'm not pet. letting my dog drive. That's crazy. <laughs> That's true. I'm not sure the master, the interface, He's the master. Never sober. <laughs> <laughs> Too many milk bones. Um, so. 
I wanted to. I just wanted to bring up that that CX five, especially because we were talking about the diesel motor a while back that you drove and yes. were not impressed with. Well, I wasn't um, impressed with, especially for the price. That's that was the big issue. And uh, I think this turbocharged gas engine is very good. Um, I wish it had one one or two more gears. If that's a that's a bizarre thing to ask. Like for. an eleven speed or like a fourteen speed. <sighs> no, like uh, maybe an eight speed. I think would be. Ooh. <laughs> would be okay. Well, you, you know, while you're talking about Mazda engines, yes, some news that came out this week that uh, I don't know if it impacts the CX-5 because I'm not sure this engine would have made it there, but it definitely impacts uh, a lot of Mazda products. Uh, two years ago, Sammy, yeah, you and I, I believe we drove the Sky Active X engine, right? It wasn't just a dream. It, it wasn't just a dream. We went down to Los Angeles, uh, Irvine, California, and we got behind the wheel of a prototype version of the car. I also remember that we made an engineer extremely sweaty during we that drive. Eventually, cost him his job by reporting on things he said in his well, first few really weeks. Well, really good stuff. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so this was Mazda's big thing. It was it was uh, they combined diesel and gas combustion. So they had a it was a partial compression engine. So partial compression ignition. Compression ignition. Yeah. We need to say that clearly for the record. And Mazda's whole deal was, you're going to get power, you're going to get fuel efficiency, and you're going to have gas, and you won't need turbos. And we're like, okay, that sounds great. And we're like, when is it coming? And they're like, it's coming soon. Two years later, it's still not here in North America. And now, um, even though it's out in Europe and Japan, apparently, according to Automotive News, uh, one of Mazda's executives said that the engine might never come to the United States because it does not have enough power to satisfy American drivers. Sammy, what do you think about this? Uh, this revelation. I think there's two things to talk about. It's not just the power, but I think it's the extra cost that comes with the with the engine. If it's one thing that I don't believe North American buyers are all about is paying more for more fuel efficiency in a gas motor. Yeah, I think. and that's what they're saying. They're saying U.S. customers' fuel economy is not the top requirement. Yeah, and I think there's another automaker that's tried to do stuff like this in the past. Ford, for example, I think always tried to offer an upgraded engine from a from a naturally aspirated uh, four cylinder into a turbocharged three cylinder that didn't that maybe had comparable horsepower and torque, but it always had more efficiency. torque, I think. But it always boasted more fuel efficiency. Fuel efficiency, and I'm not sure everyone wanted to pay extra for the additional fuel economy without the added benefit of more power. I'm so, very, I, I'm very curious as to how much of this is related to emissions as well. Because this is the second straight new motor that Mazda could not make work in the United States. The, yeah, the, the original I mean, diesel, the diesel, right? The original yeah. diesel took years, never came. Now we have a diesel finally, but honestly, five years later. And we're two years past Sky Active X being a thing, one year past it being on the market elsewhere in the world, and it's still not in North America. That's got to cost this company, which is very small, a significant amount of money because they're not going to be able to recoup those costs in the largest market for automobiles in the world. I mean, aside from China. It also doesn't bode well for Mazda when they're bo- when they're talking about um, other powertrains that they want to bring to market as well. If you remember, they debuted a vehicle called the MX-30, which was an electric vehicle that featured a rotary-engined um, a range extender. You remember this? Yes. Do you think this will actually happen too? I mean, it's no. another it's another uh, wild idea for Mazda, but they've been unable to successfully deliver. These two other ideas that they had, and I, think it, I, I don't really, know I mean, how it, they're going to deliver this next project. 
it's got to hurt them prestige wise, like from an engineering perspective, they, they are not able to deliver on their promises. And that's, that does not look good on the global stage. Yeah, I agree with you. And uh, I, I, it's a shame because I think style wise, they're really, um, they, they really hit their stride. I think interior quality wise, they really look good. Um, driving dynamics are pretty solid. And uh, they have other, you know, they have so much other things going for them. But if the powertrain is not, if the powertrain gets stale, then the car, the, the heart of the car just feels like it's missing, right? I agree. So, yes, uh, kind you, of... Uh, you seem like you have something you want to say. I do, but it's not related to anything we've talked about just now. It's, it's, I'm going to segue here. We had a, a listener named Gary uh, write into us a couple of weeks ago. And he asked us, you know, we didn't do a, a year-end wrap-up show. We didn't really do a decade wrap-up show. And uh, he was curious, you know... Decades over. What are the favorite vehicles we've driven? What are we looking forward to driving in 2020? And do we have predictions for the next 10 years? Sammy, I wanted to start out with that first part of the question: the favorite vehicles you've driven in the last 10 years. What what is on that list for you? Okay, I mean, I have a couple of really easy picks on this on this list. I'm going to say um, a vehicle that I really enjoyed um, was the the. Toyota Subaru Twins. The, I ended up buying one um, just under a decade ago. Yeah, your and BRC. I, I, <laughs> I brought the FRS while Scion was still a thing, and I loved it. So, I mean, that's an easy pick for me, but I'll go into another vehicle that I drove within the past decade but didn't uh, necessarily come out in the past decade, which was the uh, – I think it was a 95 or 96. No, I think maybe maybe even less than that. An FD turbocharged RX-7. It was a 93. It was a 93. Look, I don't even know my numbers. I should really have things prepared before I I speak on the podcast, Um, which was a really cool – it wasn't just a time machine. It was a a view into the 90s and when automakers were capable of trying all sorts of new um, ideas and projects and powertrains like a rotary engine that has twin twin sequential turbos, um, which I thought was really – it felt fantastic. It looked gorgeous. It got a ton of attention everywhere I went. Uh, you would think I was driving an exotic but when I was test driving this vehicle, and I thought that was um, right up there with some of the other cars that I drove this decade. So that's two cars for me. What about you? Give me give me a pair from from your list. Okay, I'd have to say um, I have more. I oh, I have more take, as well. I'm we more than just take two. Turns. So I would start with the Viper ACR. The final oh, generation yeah. Viper ACR. And a lot of that is because I got the chance to spend a weekend at Chuckwalla Raceway with the SRT engineering team setting up the car for me aero and suspension wise. And I was there with Viper Club of America. And that weekend was amazing. I just drove the car all day on a racetrack over and over and over until I corded the tires. And then they put new tires on it and I drove it again. And I made a lot of really great friends that day. Some friendships that um, still to this to this day are important in my life with Alana Scher, uh, another automotive journalist, uh, mm-hmm. friend and colleague, and Brad Bradley Iger um, and Scott Brown from uh, from Chrysler. Uh, these are all people who have you know figured in my life prominently since then. And it's just kind of like this – I had never driven a car that was out of the box as ready for the racetrack as the Viper ACR. And it's so different from the standard Viper in so many ways. And it made a huge impression on me. Um, and a sec- the second car I, l- I want to mention is a car that I- we've talked about in the podcast in the past, uh, the Alfa Romeo 4C. 
Oh, you love this thing. Okay, yeah. It's yeah. a terribly flawed car. Um, it is a. It has a carbon fiber tub, yet it weighs more than a Miata. <laughs> it has a strange um, semi-automated manual transmission with no park button. No and no, pu- no power assist, no power assist, no power steering. Uh, it looks amazing. It sounds incredible. It drives great. Did you it's drive ram- the spider or the co- or the coupe? I've driven both. Uh, okay. It's it's a rambunctious car. It's just a blast. Uh, right. When you take the roof off of the spider and put it you in the trunk, to, yeah, there's no nothing else. There's no there's no more room for anything else. There's a USB dongle hanging from below the dash. <laughs> For some reason, it just hangs there. It's has just like an, a science experiment. Sometimes it has an Alpine stereo for those of you who want to, you know, kick it NWA style. Yeah, but uh, it's great. It's a it's a fantastic car that I can never recommend to anybody because I'm sure it's a it's a nightmare to own. <laughs> but uh, I I've seriously considered buying one. I want to talk a bit about that ACR Viper. This is a car that came and went. Like this is a vehicle that just showed up and then disappeared. Nobody nobody seemed as 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 great as an impression as it left on you. Sorry, as great as of an impression as it left on you. It seems insane that it just like buy like the, the it did not stick around. Well, am, am I wrong? didn't have any money. I mean, what are you going to what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, they pumped all the cash, cash to, into superchargers and uh, V8s for their their Challenger and they, Demon. They closed the plant, a Connor Assembly facility. There you gone. go. I went to the plant when they were closing it and like seeing half of the machines in mothballs. It's a, it's what do a you think? Thing. Did it have a chance if if they could get the funds to keep the plant alive? No, uh, they no. priced it wrong. Um, the Viper used to be a car that compa- compa- competed with the Corvette in mm-hmm. terms of price. It, it had never sold the numbers of the Corvette, and I think that when they initially brought it back in the current version, uh, or the previous version, I should say, the pricing was way too high, and they alienated a lot of previous Viper owners. They fixed that pricing, and they refunded a bunch of people who had bought the car, but it was too late. They, they'd done the late. damage. All right. I'll, t- I'll fill in with uh, a pair of uh, – actually, a trio of supercars. I, dr- I got a chance to drive a bunch of Spiders from McLaren. I drove the 720S Spider and the 600LT Spider, which were unbelievably amazing cars, including a ton of track time with the 600LT Spider, which was a sub- – you know, this is a car that – you know when you talk about the, the BMW or other, other cars that um, – <clears throat> excuse me – that take – control of the vehicle at high speeds and feel like they're doing all of the hard work for you the the mclaren does a lot of that but also doesn't let you feel like you're not in control of the car anymore it handles all of the stuff that you don't need to worry about and keeps you on the road and keeps you like focused on steering and throttle and making sure that you're having a, um, a blast on the track and i was really impressed with that i thought it was seamless at it at its way of um giving you fun without uh scaring you um, I'll continue the party with another car that, and I know it's, it's strange when I say, oh, I've actually considered buying this. When I say that, it means a lot because I don't really, I'm not really interested in buying brand new cars. It's not some, it's not usually where I put my money. And in fact, I'm in the middle of, um, restoring my Grand Wagoneer and pouring a ton of cash into an LS engine swap <laughs> and that, and that's going to be my, my new daily driver. And that car is 32 years old, 33 yeah. years old now. Uh, and that's just where my interests lie. But I would say that. The Jaguar F-Type is a car that oh, yeah. has seriously made me consider uh, purchasing it. Uh, I really like the V6 version. I think it's great with the supercharged engine. Um, the V8 is fine, but uh, I've spent a lot of time in the V6 convertible and the coupe. 
And I think it's a great balance between price, capability, and um, style. Nothing else really looks like it. It's, again, like the 4C, it's very rambunctious. Uh, It's another car I have a hard time recommending people buy because of reliability concerns. And it's part of what keeps me out of it. Although I have a friend who has one, and he's had no issues with the car. Wow. (laughs) So, yeah. uh, I actually have the the Jaguar F-Type on my list as well. But in particular, the SVR and the the 400 Sport model. I can't remember what the name of that model is. The six-cylinder model. I made such an impression on you that you can't remember what it's called. That's it. It was the six-cylinder with 400 horsepower. It was a it was a load of fun. These are good cars um, that are don't necessarily bring to the bring forward a lot of like performance. Sorry, it it doesn't feel like they're, they don't feel like track ready cars right out of the box, but they feel like great cars you can just drive every single day and have a blast with. And I was really happy with that. Uh, like Grand Tours, I suppose. So so for, for another track-ready car that surprised me, and I'm going to go way back here to the beginning of the decade, the uh, Boss 302. Oh, yeah. The Ford Mustang okay. Boss 302 from 2012. Um, that car really shocked me because it felt nothing like a regular Mustang. It felt like a sports car. And uh, with the track key, doing the whole change the engine parameters, open the side pipes, all that stuff. Um, Ford was kind of on the the cusp of not the cusp, but they were they were one of the leaders in terms of doing that. Now we have red keys and black keys and all that stuff. But Ford was one of the first companies doing that in a modern context. The car was a lot of fun. My brother in law actually bought one last year, and he loves it. Uh, nice. but that, that's a really neat car. And I think it's kind of gotten – people don't really talk about it much these days because the GT350 is also a very good car and, I mean, arguably superior in most ways. But I think that the original Boss with the live rear axle and just the the lack of refinement in a lot of ways gives you a more visceral experience. It's actually really important to talk about the Boss 302 because it's one of the few cars that appreciated with value – one of the few new cars that appreciated with value almost immediately – and I don't know if people don't talk about it because that's frustrating um, as, a, as a brand new car that just started becoming more and more expensive as the years went well, by. Well, they're, 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 not, they're not super expensive. I mean, they're, they're under MSRP now. You can even Are buy they? Them. Yeah, so you can buy them. Do you think MSRP. maybe the GT350 impacted um, that, that um, what's the word I'm looking for, appreciation that it used to have? It was a very expensive car back in the day. I think you can get them for like thirty, thirty-five now Canadian. What so like, a Boss three hundred two? Yeah, shoot. Yeah, and, and maybe less if you if you don't mind miles. Wow. Okay. Well, that's impressive. Um, I'll stop talking about performance cars and I'll jump into one really fun car that I can't wait to purchase off the used market, which was an FJ Cruiser. Now, this car debuted before. Uh, 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 more than a decade before, but the model that I drove, which I think was a Trail Teams edition, was a car that really left a, a lasting impression on me. Uh, I love the styling of these things. I really like the way they look. You can get them with a manual. Um, I'm looking into buying one. I think I tell you this every year. I'm like, I'm going to buy an FJ Cruiser this year, and then I see how much they are. Yeah, like, you, oh, it's it's it. like uh, it's it's the two things you tell me every year are <laughs> I'm going to buy an FJ Cruiser and I'm going to get those final credits for my diploma. <laughs> And neither of those things ever neither of those things ever happened. One of these days, man, I'm gonna get there. Um, I absolutely love this this vehicle. Uh, I can't wait to to hopefully have one in my own fleet. That'll be great. Um, and I also want to talk about another car that debuted in this uh, decade, uh, made a good first impression, but hasn't progressed since. And that's the Cadillac ATS. This is a car that when I drove it, um, it really hit home. <clears throat> it really hit home. All of the um, points that Cadillac wanted to deliver. It felt like a, a modern BMW E46. I really loved driving this thing. Uh, it, it had a completely useless rear seat. You were talking about the Genesis 
earlier uh, having no not a really great uh, rear seat. The ATS was was less uh, practical than the Genesis, and it also had this terrible interior, uh, including an infotainment system that was uh, really not fun to use. But driving this thing, and I felt I felt like the exterior design was pretty strong as well. I really wished that they continued their progress with the with the ATS, um, but it was one of my favorite cars that I drove for sure. Uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna add an SUV to the list too. Um, for me, it's the Jeep Grand Cherokee SRT. Uh, particularly when they came out with the eight-speed version. I think it was 2014, 2015, I'm not sure, because the original had the five-speed transmission that wasn't that great. But the eight-speed really transformed it into a car you could drive every day. Um, I think it was like 475 horsepower, something like that. Ooh. And uh, it was it was, it was was absurd. It sounded great. It looked ridiculous. It's super practical. I remember, and I might have told this story before, but um, it, it, it took – I bought a bed frame in Maine, with uh, when I was on vacation, and my father was there with me, and he had an F one fifty and a crew cab, and the bed frame was a queen size bed, and they wouldn't it wouldn't fit in the back of his pickup. It was too big oh for my his God. pickup bed, but it fit inside the Grand Cherokee, <laughs> no problem. So More that always than an F one fifty. Yeah, Weird. that was super useful vehicle. Uh, that vehicle also set a record for most fuel consumed during a press loan <laughs> for me. That's that's still a record. It's three or four hundred dollars. Oh my for God. that trip to Maine, uh, but worth every penny. I really like the vehicle. Um, if I hadn't, if I wasn't building my Grand Wagoneer for towing and stuff, I would probably pick up a Cherokee SRT to do that with. It doesn't make sense to have two 400 horsepower Jeeps. <laughs> so I'm not gonna. I mean, some part of my life has to make sense, Sammy. All right, uh, one one more card, man. Let me hear it. No, I, I've got more than one, man. No, I need just one. We've got to keep going. We can't have the podcast going on for another decade. Here, I think like. the podcast can be whatever we want it to be. <laughs> All right. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll do some quick hits then. Um, okay. Other cars that made a really strong impression. Uh, Porsche Cayman GTS. Oh, yeah. Great. I think it's a great driving car. It's amazing. Uh, Land Rover Range Rover. Uh, it was a, one of the just first. Just the regular Just the regular Range Rover. What do you mean? Regular, the regular Range Rover. Yeah. What a I consolation to, I don't know what prize. to call it. Long wheelbase? I don't know. It's, it's just not, called it's the not Range the Rover. It's just called the Range Rover. It's yeah, not that called complicated. the Range Rover Sport. It the, is not that in the complicated. Okay, cool. This one was a pretty strong car when it first came out, too, it's right? And it had a great in, in, uh, sound system, if I don't, if I remember correctly. It's too. a car that can do anything. It's a car that that's fast. It could drive over whatever you want. You're inside your living room when you're inside of it. It's super comfortable. You can bring everyone with you. Um, another another couple of quick hits. Ram fifteen hundred. I think the last two generations of Ram definitely the best pickup trucks on the road. Top notch. Yeah. Uh, the Dodge Challenger Scat Pack with the shaker hood. Uh, it's oh, a yeah. ton of fun. It's just enough power and it's priced right. Um, I actually eight. really love the the Charger SRT. If we're going to talk about FCA products here, the the Charger SRT really surprised me and left well, strong. I'm glad place. you have. I'm glad we have time for you to interject that. I, I thought we were on a. I thought TikTok was the order of the day, but yeah. um, a Mercedes AMG GTR. Uh, a lot of fun on a racetrack. A lot of fun on the street. Not a super focused track car, but something you can definitely enjoy. And then a couple of cars I drove, like Sammy, uh, a couple, I drove a couple of older cars this past decade that really made an impression. One was the ni- a 1968 Mazda Cosmo, which is their first rotary sports car. I had the chance to drive that on the racetrack at Mine in, in near Hiroshima, and it was a religious experience. Uh, and then there's the Renault Clio V6, the uh, rear engine, rear wheel drive hatchback that makes no sense at all and is super, super fun to drive. Um, very cool. I, I was, felt very lucky to have that opportunity. All right, two more. Hold on. Now, now you've got me. Oh wow. Well, okay, I rushed through my list, but 
let's let's uh, let's let His Majesty. All right, well, I'll do I'll do quick hits too. I I really enjoyed the new Huracan Performante Spider that I drove. I thought that was fantastic, and I drove an aerial atom on the racetrack, and I oh, thought wow. that was unbelievable. I thought that was so cool. Oh, it's speaking um, of track only cars. Oh yeah, here we go. The uh, I I really enjoyed the Radical SR1. Oh yeah, uh, you I drove, drove an Radical. S- yeah, I drove an SR1 and an SR3 at VIR. And the SR3 is the two-seater with the larger engine, but the SR1 is smaller, lighter, and it pulled hard on the SR3s in the straightaway. And uh, I spun one at 120 miles an hour. Wild. And I didn't hit a wall, and that was fun. (laughs) I mean, it wasn't fun. The the, the day was fun. That was not fun. But, uh, I mean, anytime you walk away from a spin is a good day. Uh, all right, let's continue that uh, Gary's question. That's a great question, Gary. Look how long we're going to be talking about it. Um, but cars that we're looking forward to driving in the near future. How about that? Did you did you take did you have a list as long as your your last no, one here? No, you know what? You've shamed me. So now I'm going to cut my list to just a few, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I think the C8 is something I'm looking forward to driving, even though my expectations are tempered. Yeah. Uh, because there's no manual transmission. It's pretty big. I'm not sure how I'm going to feel about it. Um, I have that on my list, too. I think we're in sync there. Let's see if we have any more on on the same list here. Similar, similar GT500, the Mustang. Uh, I didn't like the previous generation. It scared the hell out of me. And I'm curious to see what another 100 horsepower is going to feel like (laughs) in comparison to that. Uh, Another vehicle I am looking forward to is the Rivian R1T, which is the electric pickup that's coming out. Okay, you're into this uh, Rivian Electric stuff, huh? Well, I, I think the fact that if it does have 400 miles of range and you could tow 11,000 pounds, that's a useful vehicle. And uh, I know it's going to be very high-end, but I'm curious to see how it feels in the real world. And, um, Sammy, we were talking before the show about something kind of ridiculous. So those of you who aren't familiar, the Rivian has an electric motor in each wheel, in each hub. So it can control them individually, which means it can do this thing called a tank turn where it just spins one side of the car like you're driving a treaded vehicle and you can rotate the truck very easily. Yeah. Apparently, GM, someone at GMC told uh, told some journalists that uh, the new Yukon has a thing called a hurricane turn. And it, the hurricane turn, it's basically if you have the traction control off, the wheel cranked and the pedal floored. It will do donuts. It'll spin in a circle on its own axis. Uh, I don't think don't that's a, a lot fe- of. Hold on, don't a lot of cars do that? Yeah, <laughs> I don't think it's a feature. I also think it's something you should never advertise. <laughs> like it says, it'll pull it into a tighter and tighter circle. There's no use for this feature. This hurricane turn is just something. I mean, the Rivian thing is something you could use if you're in a very tight spot and you need to turn around and don't want to do a, a 10-point turn. It's also the, a demonstration of the electric motor, the, the, the powertrain. I'm not sure that Rivian designed it to do exactly that, but other, other than show off that this is what it can do with uh, an electric motor in each hub. So, no? yeah, and, and so this, this tank, this hurricane turn, it was apparently accidental. It wasn't a planned feature. I think it's just GM is taking the piss out of whoever they were talking to uh-huh. this is something that any vehicle can do <laughs> uh, on a low friction surface anyway that that's just my my take on it but as I, have a, I have a couple of electric cars on my list i have the uh electric honda e which i think is this adorable little uh runabout which will hopefully be affordable and um have some decent range i have the polestar not th- not just the one which uh stefan talked about recently but the two which will be their more mass market vehicle and i also have the volkswagen id3 
which I think will be another important product to see how they how they come along with. But the other vehicles that I'm looking forward to, um, I can't wait to to drive and to see the Lexus LC 500 convertible. I am a I think everyone on the podcast knows I'm a fan of the Lexus LC. I think it's a gorgeous car. I think it drives really well. It has beautiful interior. Uh, I can't wait to see it without a without a roof. I think that's one way to make a coupe better is to remove the roof. That, I think uh, that would. I think that's a. I, I'm curious about that car too. I had forgotten about that vehicle. And then I have two uh, utility vehicles on my list. I have the Bronco. I can't believe you didn't say Bronco yet. Um, it, you know, I was talking about the FJ Cruiser. If, if the Bronco I, is a modern uh, take on the, on that, that would be great. I just don't know if Bronco is going to come out this year. Oh, okay. I don't uh, know and if then, be driving it. And then I think there's maybe this – I think you mentioned this earlier, but a Ram Dakota? Yeah, the Dakota. That would be cool. Which is going to be based on the same platform as the Gladiator, which but we hopefully hand, hand very it. strong feelings about. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I would like a better version of the Gladiator. Sure, I'm into that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's my list. Anything uh, else you want to add? No, but in terms of predictions for the next decade – that's tough to do. Uh, personally, I think we're going to see more electrification because of regulations. I think it's going to be harder and harder for car companies to meet fuel efficiency requirements and emissions requirements. And I think electrification in the terms of mild hybrids is going to become the new normal. Right. And I, I, I think we're still not going to see self-driving cars. <laughs> I know. That's obvious, too. Although, you know, GM recently did a whole hubaloo on the cruise, I think, um, their their production cruise vehicle, which would be interesting, too. You know, it's it's I'm, I'm not interested in buses. I'm just yeah. not. I don't write about buses. I don't subscribe to Bus Illustrated. Uh, anything that's driving me around is a bus. <laughs> I'm not I'm not going to be enthusiastic. Or so your Uber is a bus. Yeah, might as well be. Right. But I, know, I, love- I mean, a vehicle that's driving itself is not something that I am interested in. I'm just right. not interested in that at all. It is not – I'm not enthusiastic about it. I'm not saying I dislike it or I don't think it's going to happen one day or that it shouldn't happen. But in terms of like – that would be like asking me like, oh, Ben, are you really psyched about this refrigerator? You know what? No, I'm not. I mean as long as it does its job and it's the right size, that's all I care about. So I'm not going to – I'm not going to be – I'm not just not jumping on that train. I have feelings on that, but that are a little bit uh, contrasting to what you what you believe. But um, we'll talk about it in another episode for sure. Well, why talk about it now? <laughs> because I don't think I I don't think I fully developed the way I want to articulate what I'm going to say. All right, that's all. So you're uh, saying you might actually prepare for the next podcast? Yeah. Episode one fifty six. Sammy puts in some effort. <laughs> Mark that on your calendars, everyone. So let's finish up this podcast by telling people who have never listened to the podcast before where they can find the past episodes, how they can stay on top of these current episodes. Well, if you want it, yeah, if you want to hear the episode where Sammy puts in some effort, you can go to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com and you can either listen to it directly there or listen to past episodes to see just how far he's come. But uh, you can you can subscribe to our podcast from the webpage. You can do that. We have a whole bunch of little button tabs. You can click on them for your favorite podcatcher. But you can also search within whatever podcast service you're using. You will find us there. So that's probably Absolutely. the easiest way. Additionally, while you're on the website, you can get in touch with us. We have a contact form. You can fill it out. You can, And that lands right in our inbox. You can also get in touch with us through social media. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. And you can find Ben on Instagram where everything is covered with a beautiful filter. Uh, He's at Hunting Benjamin. Additionally, 
Yes, sir. I just want to say, uh, I just want to say, I want to thank you uh, for all the people who have been emailing me directly recently, because <laughs> I know we've said, he's about to say, you can reach me at Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com, and uh, no one was doing it for the longest time. <laughs> and now people are, and they're doing it specifically because no one was doing it, and I appreciate it. It's nice. It feels good. Absolutely. So that covers all of our bases. I can't wait to talk to you next week, Ben. Um, I can't remember what I'm driving next. Oh, yes. I'm going to be checking, taking a look at the brand new Genesis GV80. Um, which is their SUV, which is going to be pretty cool. And I'm going to be talking about the BMW X6, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast. So we hope that you come back for that, and thank you for listening. Thank you, and bye.